0: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 224, Jonathan Eastwell on distance biking, on massive zip lines, on heli-skiing, on surfing, you name it, he's got it. Hi, guys. How are you today? Kurt here. Hey, you know, a few weeks ago, my podcast recording software went on the blank, and it caused us to lose a show. I had to cancel shows. I was starting to sweat if I was going to even have enough shows to keep things coming your way on time and on schedule, but somehow it worked out, and we're very thankful for that. But today's show with John O. Awesome show. We actually had to re-record. So Jono was gracious enough to come on the show twice so that we could capture this. So if you hear us talking about the last time we talked, well, that's what we're talking about. But this is going to be a fantastic show. I'm really excited to share this with you. Jono is such an upbeat, fun guy who's doing so many different adventure sports. It's It's a ton of fun. I wanted to remind you, we will make announcements about your adventure sports-related events. We're glad to do that as a public service. And so if you have something coming up that you would like to get out to the adventure sports community, please contact us. Just go to our website, adventuresportspodcast.com. Hit the Contact Us button, and we'll take care of you there. And now on with interview number two with O Eastwell. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have an adventurer extraordinaire. We've got... Jonathan Eastwell with us. Goes by Jono. Jono is up around Squamish, British Columbia right now, but he grew up south of Perth, Australia. He came to British Columbia and fell in love with the place, and now in the wintertime he helps with a snowcat heliskiing business. And he also in the summer works with a zip line that is out of this world. He loves all things outdoors, including surfing, skiing, biking. We're just excited to talk about all of it. So, Jono, welcome to the program.
1: <laughs> hey, Kurt, how you going? Yeah, thanks for that uh, massive introduction.
0: Well, hey, if you love the outdoors, and it sounds like you do, then that means you're going to be doing stuff that's fun, you know? I love that kind of stuff. And Let's, uh, let's go back and fill in some of the holes I made, though. You grew up in West Australia. Tell us about uh, that.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I grew up in a tiny town uh, three hours south of Perth which is uh, about 800 soul people, maybe a few more now. Um, yeah, and then we just um, absolutely like one of those places where you blink and you've missed the place. And then, yeah, lived in, moved to a town where I could surf and grew up in a uh, surf sort of town-ish and then moved up to the city and then ended up moving to Canada for the short brief of it. <laughs> Done a bit of traveling in between.
0: So you also do some outdoor education, teaching surfing in Hong Kong, China. What's up with that? Yeah.
1: Uh, that's yeah that's pretty sweet uh it's one of those jobs I just sort of fell into, like I've always enjoyed the outdoors, and working with kids is sort of a real big passion of mine, and I found this job in uh from a friend of a friend of a friend, as most jobs are, and then yeah, I got this this really sweet gig of teaching outdoor education for some kids in Hong Kong and China and the areas around there, which was a really satisfying job I've had, yeah
0: wow, so tell us just briefly what it's like to work over there
1: oh look it's it's hard it's one of those things that's hard to explain, Kurt it's the most contradicting to uh, western culture eastern culture but at the same time it's beautiful in its own essence it's amazing place to fill with some great people like the chinese people are very interesting fun fun people for sure
0: well do you have to speak mandarin to work there
1: Uh no my my mandarin is uh like most people are uh, pretty garbage and no matter <laughs> if you <laughs> matter if you like if you're speaking to someone your tone is going to be out so like yeah, we have a lot of uh, sort of translators that come with us, which end up being like our pretty much our social buffer between us and the mainland Chinese people, so we're not offending anyone pretty much.
0: <laughs> that's fun, man. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So how much time have you spent over in Hong Kong then?
1: Oh, Kurt, I spend probably three, four months of each year from the past four, yeah, four years or so. Like, so like I pretty much have a bit of a home base there in a, a town in uh, China called Yangshuo, which is like pretty much... They're said to be, besides Squamish, the, one of the climbing capitals of the world
0: as well. Wow. And then you went to British Columbia. Now, if I remember correctly, you went there on a holiday and ended up just staying.
1: Yeah, to my mom's dismay, yeah. I came for came for two months, and that was uh, seven years ago. And I've just always ended up coming back to Canada because I just love the place. It's just – if you like the outdoors, this is literally the place to be. It's beautiful beyond all.
0: Well, let's talk about British Columbia just a little bit then. What is it like where you are?
1: Oh, well, like I said, just uh, north of Squamish here, it's it's something else. Like, if you haven't seen the mountains or at the, or at the moment they're just covered in snow and it's something special. Like, you walk outside and you forget where you are sometimes because it's so beautiful and it's so breathtaking. And, like, you get to work out in this every day. is really a blessing for sure.
0: Mm. So um, is it cold? Is it warm? What's the climate like? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, if you ask that to a Canadian, it's uh, pretty warm. But if you ask that to a big wussy Australian like me, it's it's pretty cold. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably only about like, I don't know, minus two or three. But um, for me, like you know, going from summer to here, I'm I've become a bit of a girl's blouse for sure.
0: <laughs> so I understand that the weather there can be pretty nice during the summer, but then you get a lot of rain in the wintertime
1: uh yeah depending on the times kurt i think in the summer you have some beautiful beautiful um, temperatures you know mid-20s sometimes 30s and then you have like the shoulder season in between like so around about october november and then the other side of that is probably may around about may or so it does rain for a bit but you know you can't have everything perfect and like i said there's no such thing as bad weather it's bad clothing options right
0: yeah no doubt about it well john Help us understand your lifestyle here, because this is really unique. You've, you've created for yourself an adventure-focused lifestyle. So we already talked about teaching outdoor education, surfing in Hong Kong and in China. And we've talked about that you work with a, a snowcat for backcountry skiing services up there in the wintertime. That you're running this crazy zip line, which I want to talk a lot about later in the summertime. And then you still have time for other adventures. How did you pull this off?
1: Oh look, it's being the perpetual vagabond. I think um, to my mother, yeah, to my mum. I hate it, but I do enjoy to travel around and enjoy to see the sights and enjoy my life to the fullest. But yeah, I know once you get into like uh, once you find what you like, you know, with your routine of like months to months to months to change, it, it becomes become a bit of your passion. And then once you get into it, you can't really stop it, I suppose.
0: So, is it easy to make friends as you go from job to job, location to location?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Being like if you have a passion for the outdoors and then the jobs that you do, it's hard not to make friends. You have to have to go out of your way, I suppose, not to be uh, to be a bit of a socially awkward person to not make friends because everyone's looking for the same thing, looking for a good time, looking to just enjoy life to the fullest pretty much.
0: Yeah. Well, that's so cool. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I'll bet you have a word of advice for our listeners who would like to have that sort of a lifestyle. How can they get plugged into that kind of thing?
1: You know, I actually have a conversation with my friends a lot about this as well. Like, I've got some friends back home. Like, you know, everyone feels like they're tied down to their job and right. tied down to their house. And, you know, you can be. Everyone derives a happiness from whatever you want. Like, that can, you can get happiness from, you know, buying a house and having many items or whatever you want to do. But I know, like, I think you can stop it at any point. I've had friends who've literally sold their house and just they've gone traveling. I met this guy. who just sold his house and he's been traveling for the last two years and he just said he wasn't happy at home, and then he decided whatever makes him happy, and he decided upon it, and then just, just have at it, which was really cool.
0: So, at what point in your life did you say, All right, the, the standard nine to five isn't, you know, it's not my calling. I'm going to try something different. There's got to be a story there.
1: Actually, <laughs> have, you, have you seen, obviously, you've seen the movie, like, you know, The Butterfly Effect, right? Sure,
0: yeah. So, so you talk. <laughs>
1: Preaching on here, but uh, you know how like there's like that one point in your life, and then everything derives and like changes from that point. Yep. Yeah. So like I had one of them, I was playing um I was playing semi professional sport back home in Australia. I was getting paid, and then I was playing with this coach who end up not liking me. And one day, like I just had this point where my friends like, "Hey, do you want to go to Canada?" I'm like, "All right, let's let's do it." He goes, "I can get us some uh, work at the Olympics." I was like, okay, sweet. Let's just see what it's like in the Winter Olympics. And then uh, from that point there, it was just, it just diver My life diverged. And then I was like, like I said, I, I never went back to working like, you know, my carpenter's job back home. And then I just found adventure sports was my thing. And I just sort of became addicted to it <laughs> and haven't left since.
0: Oh, that's cool. It seems like everybody has a point where they have to make a decision. And it sounds like you're the kind of guy who's not nervous about trying new things in new places with new people. But was it a little bit scary when you just kind of dove into this?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Far out. Like, I think that first point, like I said, when you're just going from like what you know and what you love to this change, like it's just, oh, it's crazy. But then the growth you have inside yourself is amazing. Like I went from, you know, doing this like this job, which I really didn't like and like at all. To the very first job, which I am currently came back to now, was the first job I actually loved, and like that change going from like just doing a job for your life, just doing a job for the weekends to actually having the job you like for your life makes it made probably the biggest difference in my life. I think.
0: Well, I want to talk about your bike trip. So you, you mentioned before the call that you had this crazy idea, just kind of out of the blue, to bike across Canada. Yeah, I mean, you you said you went from what Whistler to Halifax.
1: Yeah, I went, yeah, yeah, so, I don't know, I was like, I went. I think I was, like I said last time we talked, um, I was in the shower, <laughs> probably in my April sometime last year, and I was like, what am I going to do for the summer, and I was like, well, I haven't seen enough of Canada, so I was like, well, stuff it, I'm just going to get on, I'm just going to go across on a bike, that's the best way to see it, and I just bought a garbage bike, which his name's
0: Brutus, <laughs> and then...
1: Got on the bike and just went for it. And I just thought, well, this is the best way to see the country. And it was probably the best experience of my life for sure.
0: Wow. So you said before the interview here that from Whistler to Halifax is like 6,500 kilometers. And so what I heard you say just now was you didn't even have a bike. You just decided, oh. hey, I'm going to bike. And so you grabbed <laughs> one and went.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I've actually bought like a $150 bike. Off of my buddy, which was too big for me. Um, And I got given some panniers. And then uh, the the longest I've ever biked before was probably 30Ks or something or 40Ks trying to do a triathlon when I was like 17. And then, yeah, I just decided just to take it bit by bit and just went for it. And uh, there was no better way to do it, to see this beautiful country.
0: Wow. Well, tell us your route. Okay, from Whistler, you had to somehow get over the Rockies. And then you had to cross the plains. And then you got into the forested, hilly swampy areas of Ontario and on you know tell us about your the route and what it was like
1: I yeah so we were like um I don't know like my, I pretty much called my one of my good friends and um yeah she decided to join me and she was like on the last spur of the moment and we just went for it and we decided to go from here it was kind of the funny way going from west all the way to east apparently is the easiest way we had no idea we just had no idea and just went for it and then Having to go through all of like the Rockies here and all of BC, which is super mountainous. We thought we were going to die. <laughs> but then once you get into the the plains, it was beautiful. Got through like um, Alberta and Saskatchewan, which has amazing sunsets. And then going through Manitoba and then into Ontario, which was just swampland. This is just a brief short of it. <laughs> and then, on, honestly, Ontario is just a gigantic province. I, spent, I felt like it was half my time in Ontario. And then just finishing off on the East Coast, which was just. Beautiful and amazing, very uh, very hospitable out the people out
0: there. Hmm. I've heard from previous guests that when you're on a bike, people tend to be more friendly. It's what they say is that the bike somehow just tells people that, you know, you're an adventurer and you're out here doing something special and they're always curious about it. It's a great conversation starter. And if you were just thumbing a ride or trying to hike it, you may not get the same response, but somehow the, the bike is the golden ticket. Did you experience that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Kurt. It's, I couldn't have like said, you know, like there's a saying that people, the least give the most. And I think that was like a pretty much a common saying for myself and my friend, Heather, as we going through the trip, there was, People were just constantly like would be you're a freeway going into like a city, say like Montreal or Ottawa, and then someone will just like screech in, pull in front of you and they're like, What are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm just, just biking. Like, where are you going? I'm like, oh going to Halifax and I'm like, where are you being? Like, oh BC. They're like, No way And they're like, Come over to my house here, have a beer, <laughs> let's cook your dinner and they're like they like let you stay at their house and they don't even know you and it's it's not true. Having that bike there was just people just thought couldn't fathom what you were doing but they just loved it and they just really embraced it and then just wanted to help you out as much as they possibly could
0: yeah that is so cool the way that that works i've heard from people that have tried to walk the planet that it's not always like that for for hikers or hitchhikers or backpackers but once you uh have that bike somehow it, it just opens those doors
1: yeah yeah for sure i actually met a couple of people walking across like without any hitchhiking and i met a lady she was uh on the way through, she had a horse, and she was riding a horse all the way across the country. That's was, awesome. Well, that was pretty, yeah, I was like, that's pretty impressive, but you know, I'm going to give it to the horse, not
0: to you. The horse is <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of saddle sores, how do you go from not even owning a bike to biking this far? It had to be killer painful.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. A little thing called in Australia, it's called pawpaw cream. So I've got some right here, and if you listen to this, like, <clears throat> it's a a local topical application for boils, burns, chafing, cuts, cracks, in, <laughs> gravel rash, splinters, open wounds, insect bites, and nappy rash. That was my absolute saviour out there.
0: <laughs> so, how long did it take before you kind of got in the rhythm and things settled down and felt good again?
1: Uh, look, I'm not going to lie. Look, I'm a pretty, uh, got a pretty skinny bum, so that thing was red raw after about two weeks and stayed like that for about a month. And then after that, finally got a bit of a feel for it. And then yeah, after the three month period, it was it was feeling pretty rock solid. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've heard from the distance bikers that it does take a while, but you just got to keep at it. And then you build up the tolerance, the toughness that you need. It's not just your bum though. You know, it's, it's everything about it. Just being on a bike for that long, that in that position, you know, your hands, your back, it it can be tough.
1: I suppose. Yeah. I think it definitely is tough. Like the physical, like you can approach it in different ways, but I think the biggest one is like the mental, mental aspect of it. And it's the way that, I know like everyone, you meet all these people and people, I met a lot of people who were just like bailing out after like trying to do one province and bailing. They didn't, were tired and couldn't be bothered. And it was just the men, it's the way you approach it. I think like we had this, like the way you had this positive vibe and myself and my esteemed colleague, Heather, who was the most positive person in the world, we're going through and everything was great. If you just assumed that everything was good and everything just turned out fantastic in the way that like you can either perceive it as being and negative. You know, a bit of a learning curve, and we just had such a positive way about it, and that's what kept us going the entire way.
0: Oh yeah, well, it, it sounds like you guys had the right kind of a connection. You know, if you're not with the right person on some sort of a what can become a trying journey like that, it's got to be really tough.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been on a few. <laughs> I've been on a few hikes when you're going out, and when the going gets tough, you've just got to just smile and just get into it because you know having a negative vibe is really not going to get you anywhere.
0: Yeah. Well, what was it like? after over six thousand kilometers to get to halifax and say we did it we're done
1: yeah it was there was it was really funny it was probably not uh, the feeling we got like you didn't realize it until probably a couple of days but got to the end of the halifax pier there and got a big photo with me with a bike over my head and it was to celebrate and that was a good way to finish it but yeah <laughs> yeah that was
0: probably the best way to go about it what did it seem strange the next day to not be on the bike again
1: yeah, it actually did because the bike gave you like so much purpose. Because you get on there and you, at the start of it, you dreaded it, but then like you like became like repetition, and you really look forward to like getting up in the morning. You'd finish your breakfast so you could get on the bike because you had these adrenaline and this like endorphins running, and you were just loving it. So like at the end of it, it was like I had this excess of energy, and I was like just the most craziest person. And I was like, ah, oh, I needed to do something every minute of the day. Yeah.
0: Wow, that sounds like a ton of fun. So give me a a really good day story from your bike trip.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, All right, so just coming out of – okay, so in Alberta – not Alberta, sorry, BC here. Coming across, it was like three weeks in. We're just getting fit, and there's this hill. It's like the biggest, longest, continuous uphill in all of Canada. It's like 20 kilometers uphill, right? Mm. And so we're coming along, and um, we're like just about the top of the hill, and then this guy pulls over and he's just like, Hey! I'm like, Oh, hey, Bert. Hey, mate. How you doing? He's like, You wanted some water? And I'm like, Yeah, I'd love some water. And so he went and grabbed, he went like, um, gave me like a bottle of water and he goes, Oh, here, this is one for your friend down there. I was like, Yeah, thanks, man. And I started chatting to him. And then after about a minute, he's like, Where are you camping? I'm like, Oh, well, we're just camping literally on the side of the road at P-stops. Well, don't tell the police. Um, and yeah, so we're just going along. And then he's like, Well, you, you want to camp out at my house? I'm like, Yeah, sure, sure. So he gave me the directions. And um, awesome guy. And then him and he like so I told my friend Heather and we went up to like found this guy's house and we went pulled in, he's like, Hey yeah, how you doing? So i chatting to him and then for about a minute chatting, he's like saw that we weren't crazy crazy because he had the bike and they think, well, you know, you at least you got some sanity. <laughs> and like, Okay, how about you can you guys can you don't have to care about the front, you can stay you can stay inside but, Oh thank you very much And we were pretty self sufficient cooking and that And he's like, I'll tell you what we'll cook you dinner I'm like, No no it's okay He's like, No no we'll cook you dinner Okay so he cooked us dinner, and him and his wife met him. And then afterwards, he was like, oh, you guys can hear. Let me um, cook this dinner, like, fed me a bunch of beers. And then, like, the next day, like, super, super lovely. Cooked us breakfast, and then chopped up some vegetables for us and sent us on our way the next day and ended up, like, following us behind. He offered to take us to, like, the next town. But I'm like, no, like, you can't get to get on the – got to ride to the next town. And then he drove us down to the driveway and then down the road a bit and then waved us off, and we left and we're like, wow, that was – Incredibly nice and it was just a great way to start like this sort of random at the start of the trip yeah
0: oh that's fun really really cool I think that you know you could have stayed where you were you know back near squamish and just kind of wasted your time but instead, you had this crazy idea in the shower to grab a bike and grab a friend and take off. And now you're, you're telling me stories after stories after stories of what you just said was one of the greatest experiences of your life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I know. That's, that definitely, yeah, like it put a lot of stuff into perspective for me. But yeah, that was, that was a big changer for me, I think. That was like really got the ball rolling and then got you thinking more. And like I said, each day when you're riding, you're constantly thinking. Like, if you're doing anything with repetition, you constantly think and think and think, and it really puts things in perspective and sort your life out pretty straight.
0: Hmm. You know, that's one of the things that we talk a lot about on the Adventure Sports Podcast, O is how if people would just step outside of the door and do something, just yeah, go do yeah. something. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be biking across Canada, but just go do something. Then you're going to make memories and have life experiences. You're going to grow as an individual. I mean, it's the reason for it, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I said, like like i said before like you don't like you said you don't have to do you don't have to do these major amazing crazy things whatever you think like just start off small and just get yourself out go for a little bit of a walk go for a little bit of a hike and then whatever really you derive happiness from
0: you can get that anywhere in the outdoors yeah no doubt man i couldn't agree more well let's go back to what you do in the winter time where you're driving the snowcat and you get to do the heli skiing up around the the mountains there around squamish Tell us about that.
1: Oh, it's actually uh, a little bit further north of here, just near the Alaskan border. A little place, tiny, tiny place called uh, Terrace in BC. Oh, and great. I work for a heli ski company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I live like for the winter mostly. This just not including this winter. I usually live in like a tiny little uh cat shack in the middle of the mountains, and we I just we work for heli ski company. And when they can't heli ski, they come towards us, and we drive people up and down the mountains in the middle of nowhere and um, live in the tiny, tiny cabin in <laughs> a remote setting, which is really, really great.
0: Man, there are so many skiers that think that that's just kind of a dream. Is it all it's cracked up to be?
1: Oh, uh, look, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> so we get <laughs> you get like – you
0: become – the
1: thing is, though, it's a bit of a catch-22. It's great, but it spoils you as a person for skiing because you become not a snob, but like you just have had such – High highs of just awesome powder and snow and ski and when you come to like riding just paced you're like oh god you
0: miss it you miss it a lot. <laughs> I'll bet. So how many verts are we talking, and what kind of terrain? Oh,
1: it's alpine. You've got alpine. You ride trees. It really depends on like the guides and then where you want to ride. And like, but you pretty much you can do oh, three, four thousand vert in one drop, depending on the, the spot. Sometimes you might do a thousand vert. It it really it really depends on where they're gonna taken where what settings is best it's really safe so the guy chooses where you want to go and then you'll pretty much bomb you in and then you'll be sharing a helicopter with like maybe another group and they just keep rotating it up and down the mountain and you get fresh lines every day or fresh lines every run and it really is breathtaking being up there having it all to yourself
0: oh, i can i can imagine what about avalanche danger
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's one thing that's really goes with you know goes with the job as well. Like, but the guides up there are really switched on. They know what's going on. But at the end of the day, th- things happen. They happen all the time, and that's just what you got to expect. You know, like, life throws your curveballs sometimes. Like my best friend uh, Hugo <laughs> was working the same. My counterpart up there that works the same job, he got caught in a bit of a uh, level class two abbey. <laughs> yeah, he was he was he was lucky to get out, but. That just goes with it it was um he rode out of it but he was pretty shooken up but he still kept riding and had the best day of his life (laughs) wow
0: you know there are a lot of things you can do to avoid avalanches and you know there are all sorts of Abbey one Abbey two classes you can take to learn about snow conditions and and what kind of slopes to avoid and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day the best skiing is right where you shouldn't be
1: yeah yeah i I definitely agree with that but if you the thing is though, like I've been watched. Have you seen like there's a thing on YouTube called uh, Twelve, a dozen more turns, and no matter how much, how much you like study and how much you look it up and how much you know, stuff still does happen. right, it's things do happen out there, but you can definitely manage manage and uh, mitigate those risks out there. But in the, end the day, you just going to realize, that, you know, sometimes it is out of your hands.
0: Yeah, I uh, I always want to encourage our listeners to be careful with it, and the reason is, you know, John, oh, I'm in Colorado, and Avalanches kill people here every year. And I take it pretty seriously myself. And so when I see that beautiful shoot coming down the mountain and I'm thinking about, about kicking up the hill and, and getting some turns, I, I don't just dive into that. And you know, you give it a lot more thought. You make sure you have the training and you choose your route carefully and you have your plan A, B, and C and all that kind of stuff. People come into Colorado who don't really know and they dive into some stuff. They trigger a slide and they never come back up again. And so I just have to mention to our listeners out there, it's it's nothing to make light of. It's like John o 's saying, it's it's serious stuff. But uh, if you know what you're doing, then you can avoid and mitigate an awful lot of that risk. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with a proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment including the latest skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check BentGate.com for their full product selection, as well as updates on all of their events. Hey friends, Kurt here. Happy Holidays! You know, I wanted to remind you about the 180 stove and the 180 flame as possible holiday gifts for your loved ones. These are lightweight backpacking stoves... ...that burn natural fuels. So we're talking about twigs, grass, leaves, pine cones. If it burns, you can cook with it. They also make wonderful windbreaks and stable cooking surfaces... ...for alcohol burners and other lightweight stoves... ...that need that extra bit of support. These stoves can be found at 180tack.com. The 180 stove is just 10.4 ounces. You have a cooking surface as large as a burner on your home range... ...and you can even grill steaks, fish fantastic for larger groups for backpacking the 180 flame at 6.4 ounces is a personal stove it's excellent for boiling water quickly and efficiently you don't have to carry fuel you don't have to buy fuel if you have an outdoors person in your family then the 180 stove or the 180 flame will make a wonderful gift for the holidays I just can't imagine how wonderful it is to get to ski that that virgin powder like you get to ski from a helicopter. Cool, oh,
1: yeah. And I, it's I had I had one line last year. So how it works for the heli company I work for. So we have like we take out pretty much people that pay a lot of money to come out there, like uh, like you know high end like clients and stuff like that. And so when there's a spare space on the helicopter, um, the staff get to go up. And so it's like it, it's a bit of a like that's the be- that's why you work up there. You don't work up there in the middle of nowhere just so you can hang out not for money it's for the love of it and so you go up there and you get your day or you know sometimes if there's two spots you take your best friend or whatever you work with and you go up there and you go out and i had one I had one day i was up there just with the, me and myself sorry and five guests and i went up there and i was i was like i was uh, snowboarding at the time and i was going along and it was this one right line you always remember it's like surfing you always remember that one line or that one ride that you do for years and years and there was just like there was this ridge and i was going down and like, i'm like oh it was just his spine, so there's this spine going straight down, and I was with this guest, and he's like, "I've I've known him for a couple of years going there." And he looks at it, I look at me, and he's like, "Just go for it, John I And mean. it was like straight out of like a Travis Rice movie, just going down this ridge, and then I hit the bottom, and I I like I thought my face was going to explode through happiness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not really a better feeling than that. It's it's kind of like being a, a bird and soaring, you know. Let's go back to what you've been doing in the summertime: super fly zip lines. Now, I found this online, and that's how I got in touch with you the first time. I saw this zip line on a, a video that wasn't going from tower to tower or tree to tree. This thing's going from mountaintop to mountaintop, and I, I was just blown away, so I, I called up and said, what is going on? And it, So, tell us about Superfly.
1: Uh, okay. Um. Yeah, well, I've been working on and off for these guys for the last uh, six years or so. I always end up coming back and doing like a winter or a summer, and yeah, it's... um. Like I told you before, it was the it's the first job that I've ever done that I'm like generally was pumped and go to have, happy and go to work for. You know, you get up in the morning, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go out there and just literally like stay in some of the most beautiful terrain and just have a great time. And that's my job, and I get paid for it. So it's it's pretty something special. We are out there just we're in Whistler and we're just north of town in a we've zipped between two mountains. We've got uh, Rainbow Mountain and Cougar Mountain, and like I said, we've got the longest zipline in North America year round which is 1.3 kilometers. And the second wow. one is 1. 1.2 kilometers, which is our first one. And yeah, it is pretty breathtaking out there,
0: Kurt. 1.3 kilometers. People usually measure the length of a zip line in yards or meters, not kilometers.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of a funny one, actually. Yeah, uh, That's there too. It's our uh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And especially at the moment uh, right now when it's all covered in snow, it's just amazing out
0: there. So how high off the ground is this zip line?
1: Uh, you're sitting there at about, 200 meters off the ground uh so 600 i think 640 feet for anyone from
0: the states There, 640 feet up holy cow dude that's crazy
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's good fun like i said a lot of people come out and it's like like i was saying to the few people today it's their bucket list and they come out and it just blows their mind some of the stuff that they do and they come out and they afterwards they just like i said the same again huge smile on their face and they've leaving with some good
0: memories okay so how fast do you get going on this massive zip line
1: For, that depends on how many burgers you've had um <laughs> shoot i've had people go up to speeds of probably 70 miles ran about a, we've had someone up to 120 kilometers an hour so wow yeah it's some of them like one of them you can go pretty quick depending on your riding position and how like you're laying and how much you weigh
0: holy cow so over 70 miles per hour 600 feet above the ground you're going over a kilometer I, I, that's just, and to me, that's insane. I've got to try it, but I can't imagine. It must feel like you're just a bird or, or like you're hang gliding or something.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, it's like, like I said, you do it as a job, it becomes repetition, but probably my f- favorite time is when you open, you come in the morning and you're, it's like seven or eight and the, the sun's just, uh, rising and you got the whole place to yourself and you just go through and you open the course and, You go through that and you're like, it's a great way to wake up. It's an instant refresher and you just feel pretty good.
0: Oh, man. So tell us what it's like to guide people on these zip lines. I mean, I know people get up there and they've got to be looking at it going, holy cow, what did I get myself into? And, you know, how do you encourage them to get on the line and actually do it? And what's it like for them?
1: Oh, well, it depends on the people. I suppose you can get... Some, like I said, some people come out and this is nothing, you know, because you get adventure seekers come out and try it all the time. They're bungee, but then you have a lot of people come out, like I said, and they're just insane. It's like it blows their mind. And some people, it literally you have to sit, spend ten minutes coaching them into coming off and um, sending them down because you can't like send someone down without them wanting to go down. You have to they have to give you the all clear. But yeah, that's probably the big part of the job is coaching people down into like, co- like you know, conquering their fears and getting them across. And yeah, once they get through it, they're pretty stoked.
0: So, how do you get people to step off that ledge and actually go?
1: Uh well, like I said, just coaching. You just talk to them and just you reassure them about the low risk. A lot of people assume that it's such a high risk, but it's not. It's the equivalent of like, let's see, like a we use the same size cable as a chairlift, right? And we only have one one person, or we have actually dual zip lines, so two zip lines going together and one person going across. And they're like, oh, okay, they take some solace in that. But at the end of the day, like you've just got to talk to them and just really talk to them quietly and softly, and then just hope Hopefully, they can um have the nerve to end up going through with it.
0: So, uh, since you do it all the time, you probably you know it feels pretty normal to you. But for someone that's doing it the first time, I mean, you had your first time. Um, I, in my mind, I imagine that stepping off and actually taking off has just got to be crazy. But then you get going and you got to settle into some sort of a rhythm. I mean, describe what that feels like. Well. So we have like we
1: have four zip lines which is which is pretty cool. so the first one is like it's the highest so you're at six, you're 640 feet above the uh, valley floor and like that's 1.2 kilometers and that's probably the most daunting for people because you're so high up and you've got this insane view of the whole entire valley and you can see the far side from one mountain to the next so people generally get pretty scared there so once they get through that they're okay. if they get through that they get to the next one, you a bit of a short walk to the next one which is 1.3k. And that's uh, that one is you're going from one mountain to the next again and through the valley, and the third one is our like our Ferrari as well like to call it, and it's like it's called Godzilla. And you <laughs> that one there you reach your top, yeah, you reach your top speed up about you reach up about 100 kilometers depending on your weight for about five seven seconds or so, which is really fast. You come to the brakes pretty hot, and the last one you end up a bit of an abrupt stop and you cruise through the trees.
0: Wow. So how do people stop when they get to the other end? Oh, we have like an
1: automatic braking system. There, Kurt for the first three, which um, they, it does it all for them. It has come in. They all they have to do is adopt a nice – we call it the landing position where they've got their legs apart and their hands on the bar. And like say said, they come through. It's pretty unique. We have like a we have like a, um, a paragliding harness, which we use, and then a, like a, a painted a trolley and harness. And then that means – which is really cool because we can actually take up people who've got um, – who are in wheelchairs or with disabilities or anything like that, which is really great.
0: And so it automatically stops for them when they get to the other side.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Well, I can't imagine what it's like to do a zipline that's that big. And I know that a lot of our listeners are probably going, holy cow, I got to get up there and do something like that. So if people want more information, how do they find out about Superfly?
1: Oh, sweet. That's easy. Um, just go on com, and you'll be able to see our site. Oh, yeah. And it's pretty much you can, we do like a bunch of our company is pretty sweet in that way. Like we, what you come and you might be hired or something as a zipline guy, but we do like a rafting in the summer snowshoeing um snowmobile tours pretty much yeah, you name the sort of tour and we sort of do it which is really cool
0: so it's not just zip lines you guys do a lot of stuff
1: yeah yes for the adventure for the adventure seeker it's a pretty sweet gig for sure like in we book and pretty much anything you can do like the the rafting is really good fun um then the summer we do a razor tour which is like an uh, atv sort of tour which is a bit modified a bit more safer <laughs> yeah that's a that's a good blast in itself too and we do a treetops course as well, which we do in the trees down there in the summer.
0: Okay, treetop course. Tell us what that is. Uh,
1: so have you seen uh, – have you seen the show Wipeout? Okay, Wipeout, it's like this show where you have to like an obstacle course up in the air. So it's pretty much the same as that, but you have like a harness on. So like it's – got to climb through the trees and you have like stuff that's trying to knock you over or make you fall down. And it's like it's, – it's just like an adventure course in the trees. But like for the highest point, you might be 80 feet above like the river, which is – pretty awesome itself takes about takes about two hours to get through and like you've got a pretty good sweat on the end of that
0: so it's kind of like a high ropes course up in the trees then yeah 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 pretty much exactly what it is and so do you do different types of challenges as you go through
1: Oh yeah, we have like a kids course which goes below as well, and um, we do like you know speed if you want to go for like fast as you can go through it, which is fine, which is, and then you can have um you know you can, like we had a couple of slackliners come through uh, a couple of summers ago, and that was pretty impressive to do the whole course without touching there touching anything, which was awesome.
0: Wow, so you're you're hooked into a line that keeps you from falling, obviously, but then you're trying to balance yeah. on different stuff, you know, up in the air. How high off the ground did you say? 80 feet?
1: Yeah, about 80 feet. It ranges. Like, it's like a ski run. It goes uh, like green, blue, uh, black, double black. Like, so it progressively gets a bit higher and a bit harder after each, uh, after each section.
0: John, what I'm gathering here is that a person could come up into that area, find a place to stay, and book a different adventure for every day, and have a crazy vacation all right there in BC with you. Well yeah they well, they can come and sleep on my couch if they want That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey we have thousands and thousands of listeners. Your couch might get pretty busy. Oh
1: uh, yeah, well, just, just take it in turn. Someone um, there's plenty of, as long as you know, I, I cook a pretty mean roast. Uh, yeah. Um no, well like I said if like if someone's interested in coming up like plug my, my company but like it's a great company to work for and it's a great company to go do experiences with so because you have so many options of whatever you want to do like people come out and they they come out and they do one thing and they're like well what else should you do like i oh, would we'll do this this and this and they end up like like i said each day they'll do something a bit more fun and then whatever suits them and end up having like a pretty great week with us
0: oh that's cool so once again the website
1: uh tagwhistler.com.
0: T-A-G-whistler.com. tag dot yeah well it's I mean you do so much stuff you know we could do a complete show on any of this on the biking the zip lines the the heli scheme <laughs> but i have to touch a little bit of all of it i'd like to hear more about your surfing
1: oh surfing oh okay um yeah well as i, I am australian so pretty much predominantly i think like 75 percent of a surf <laughs> um yeah like i learned to surf more of a later age pretty much um when i was a little bit older in australia i always used to like Around the beach and stuff when we were kids, and then I used to bodyboard, but then grew a real big passion for surfing. Me and my brother go out a bit and just love it. It's just great being out in the ocean. Like I said, it's not—it's not like the even if you don't catch a wave, it's still just great to be out there and just get a feel for it. You know, just nice and tranquil and calm. But it's just even better catching a wave. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, end up teaching that in teaching kids who've never swam before uh, how to <laughs> surf out in some big sets, which is pretty funny. Yeah.
0: Man, I, you know, I've not surfed much, Jono. I mentioned to you that the one time I went surfing, besides body surfing, which I've done around Florida and Mexico and stuff, but actually on a surfboard was not too far from you at Tofino.
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, Tofino is, I was really surprised because there's a couple places you can surf in Canada, which is actually, probably might be the same as the States, Michigan and all that. You can actually surf on the Great Lakes, which I heard. Wow. But yeah, here in Tofino, um, Actually, really, really good surf. I was surprised. It was amazing, actually. One of the better surfs we've ever had here.
0: Well, the one thing I remember is that you're putting on a fairly thick, full-body wetsuit with a hood, gloves, and, and even then your face is just its just freezing into a block of ice while you're <laughs> out there. I mean, that water is cold, dude.
1: Oh, man. No doubt about it. Yeah, I didn't – like back home, you're, like, you're surfing in maybe like a thin wetsuit or maybe just a rash in board shorts, but yeah, here you've got – like a a five, six mil, like completely covered suit with booties, uh, gloves and and a helmet as well. And you just like, you dive in and instantly like brain freeze. You're like, okay, what have I gotten myself into?
0: (laughs) Wow. But you know what? It was a ton of fun. But now you mentioned you're teaching kids who maybe haven't even swam before how to surf. So in my mind, I'm thinking about where I was there at Tofino. And I had a, a really big long board to try to learn how to get up on this thing. And still I was getting worked. I mean, the board would shoot nine feet in the air and I'm trying to dodge it as it's coming back down on top of me and I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> How do you keep kids safe when you're teaching them?
1: Uh, look, so the little thing in uh, China is a bit lax in here. It's called safety. <laughs> no, no, I'm <laughs> um,
0: Yeah. No, so like what we do
1: is uh, because some of the kids haven't swim you give them life jackets and so you have a kid you have kids like you probably have like three or four kids to a board and so you teach them like the basics of like being centered on a board and then you take them out to like the whitewash and just let them just get a feel for the ocean first and how like the power of a wave can take you and then you get them to show them do a bit of paddling and how to pop up and stuff like that and once you once you know it's super rewarding once you go along and you see a kid who's absolutely petrified of the water and won't go in to actually catching like a bit of whitewash in a wave that's it's pretty special stuff for sure.
0: Oh, that's really fun. So if someone wanted to learn to surf, how do they get started?
1: Oh, oh look, surfing is one of the best sports going around because it's so cheap for starters. All you need is just a board and then a beach pretty much. Um, if you want to start getting surfing, I'd say it always helps to get a lesson or two first to get out those bad habits And because there's a lot to it. But I'd say the most amount is just sounds really funny, but saturation of water. Like knowing the actual waves and knowing how an ocean works is probably the really the Big key to it for sure.
0: Mm. Well, I tell you, I love the ocean. I love the power of the waves, and I would love to surf more. But I'm kind of landlocked here here in Colorado, so haven't done a lot of it. But it sounds so fascinating, especially in a warm water place like where you grew up. That's got to be something.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Like you, I don't know. Like I think wherever you're from, you've got to have an appreciation from where you are from. And but where I'm from in Australia is like Western Australia on the the coastline. There, there's just it's something special. Like you go out some days and you've, you've got like this entire break to yourself with just pristine, clear water and just you and your buddies out there. And like they say, oh, here we go. My brother's going to come with this. But the Stoke Level, you have a, an amazing Stoke Level out there in the mornings for sure.
0: Mm. Wow, sounds so nice. Well, Jonathan, you do an awful lot of cool stuff, my friend.
1: Oh, yeah. Cheers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going to happen as you get older? Do you have uh, plans oh. to slow down ever? You're gonna do bigger and better. I mean, what's uh, next on the horizon for you?
1: Well, at the moment, I'm currently uh, trying to do my um, Canadian residency because I want to. I want to live in Canada, but at the same time, I want to go back to Australia. So, right now, I'm just trying to get through some residency stuff so I can actually live and probably do a bit of studying here because here in BC, it's probably the best place to for an outdoor adventurous sort of person. But at the same time, want to you know study and further yourself. This is a really great place to be if you can't let loose of that. Uh, that traveling spirit
0: so i know you've done a lot of sports but there have to be new sports that you want to try as well um you have a, a big dream well, of, like, of a big adventure
1: yeah yeah i've been chatting to one of my friends here at the moment and uh wingsuiting that's though i've got one thing in my bucket list and that's wingsuiting my mum will literally kill me if she hears me say this but yeah I've, I've got to do that at some point in my life like i'm dying to go do some wingsuiting for better choice of words
0: <laughs> you know the one that tempts me is the speed skiing with that small canopy say that again the speed skiing with that small canopy over your head so you got skis and a parachute and then you know yeah. you, you launch yeah. off of something and just soar yeah i've
1: got a, a couple of friends here who actually do that as well um and he's he, he's sponsored by arcteryx but yeah you've got to be a little bit crazy i think to do that which is you know the best people are a little bit crazy i suppose but yeah that's uh that's something a whole different kettle of fish for sure
0: <laughs> wild so do you skydive
1: yeah. Yep. Yeah, Scott, I'm um, dying to like, but more. That's thing. Like, it's one of those things. You do it, and you just want to just do it more and more and more.
0: <laughs> I think you're addicted there, Jono.
1: Yeah. Like, like, we're the area I'm here at the moment. Most people are addicted, and it's just such a great quality of life out here. So it is hard. You become addicted to life pretty much out here, which is which is good and bad because you know you never want to go home. You never want to grow up. You pretty much you know, it's tough. <laughs>
0: Well, more power to you. You're not only doing things that you love, but you're helping other people experience them too. Teaching kids how to surf, helping people with the zip lines, you know, even helping people up the mountain so that they can ski some freshies like they've never seen before. And I think that there's something wonderful about that because people are making memories and having life experiences. And like I always say, you know, you end up with a treasure chest full of memories. I'd rather have that than a, a treasure chest full of gold.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I suppose, but like I said, you can't really be upset if someone. Where, like I said, you get uh, happiness forever, what? But I get happiness from enjoyment of life and you know the the experience that I've done so
0: far. All right, you have a really funny story for us to close us out.
1: Funny story. Recently, my uh, sister came to visit me here in BC. In BC, and we decided to go on like a bit of a hike to some hot springs in the middle of nowhere. And so we went on this uh, hike out there. It took us ages. It was a five-hour hike along a traverse, and then you got to camp out overnight in these beautiful hot springs. And then, yeah, pretty much like after the next day, had a couple of wines and then um, made our way back after the a pretty intensive night and then five-hour hike back, or five-minute, six-hour hike back, getting back to the car. Get back to the car and this is like we're in the middle of nowhere and then we got back and <laughs> batteries, the battery's flat for the car and then my sister and her brother were there and I'm just trying to give them the authentic BC experience and we got stuck in the middle of nowhere and had to hike another after hiking how much was it? on oh, ten K you had to hike another thirty K out back to the the road which took another until about two thirty in the morning and yeah, that was just really great BC experience there, hiking until two thirty <laughs> in the morning,
0: I suppose. So you're talking about hiking <laughs> like thirty five K and until two o'clock in the morning.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's just goes to show you just gotta you know, gotta be prepared when you go out there in the wilderness. <laughs> Dude, that's kinda crazy. You've got to have a positive frame of mind. Like if we sat there and got in the dumps, like got back to the car and the car, battery's flat and we're in the middle of nowhere and we knew that we had to – we tried to we tried to jack a bulldozer and try to use the battery off that. That didn't work and then <laughs> we eventually like, – well, we've just got to start hiking and hiked from 12 in the day till two uh, 2.30 in the morning and that was like, yeah, we were absolutely gassed after that and I had to get to work for like 7 in the morning and <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was, I was pretty bushed.
0: Holy cow. Would you do it again? Was it worth it?
1: Oh no doubt in my mind, yeah it was the bonding experience I got with my sister was probably probably the best moment of this year for sure.
0: Oh, that's fun. I think it's funny when things don't go right like that. That sometimes you end up with some of the best memories. I, isn't that what adventure is like? I mean, adventure often starts when oh. things don't go as you expect them to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, like, like have you heard of the, to- the two types of fun? Type one fun and type two fun.
0: Okay, tell us what's this.
1: Well, it's like uh, I'm not sure if I'm quoting this right, but there's like type one fun is like, well, I think it might be top. Three. I don't even know. Anyway, so there's like when you're having fun, the time it's really good time. It's awesome. You know, it's fun. And type two fun, I think, is like where you're having like a good time. It doesn't really seem like a good time. And there's a time when, it was, but it ends up being okay. Ends up being okay. And then there's type three fun. where It doesn't like you're just like in it. You're in the mix, and you're like, oh my god, nothing's going right. But then you look back at it later on. You're like, that was that was actually a pretty good time. And that was pretty much that that type of fun. Like looking at it, back at it, you're like, that was actually a really great time.
0: <laughs> you know, I think that's why a lot of people do endurance sports. Is because at the you know when they're on hour twelve or twenty or thirty six of a long run or or bike or hike you know it, it's grueling it's exhausting but they're learning something about themselves but I think what happens Jono is when when they're done with it and they look back on it then they have crazy good memories about it and you start craving wanting to do it again
1: yeah yeah I think for me I think it's like the camaraderie like I think what you get from that sort of stuff like I can't say for individualism. I haven't really done anything like that but when you're looking back at it you think of the experiences like as being I know you share it with someone and like when you share like when you travel through adversity with someone it really creates a stronger bond and I think maybe traveling through adversity on your own really creates a stronger bond within yourself I suppose too
0: yeah well those are good words man and I think that's good advice to part on right there so thank you so much for being on the show today
1: yeah, no worries, Kurt. It was great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, have a great
0: one. Yeah, we will do. And so if people want to try Superfly zip lines, they can go to tagwhistler.com and they can probably find you there. I, I love the way that you've put together such a fun variety of sports and been able to apply your life to it to help others to enjoy them too. Thanks for uh, setting that example for us. Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. Yeah, you bet, man. And, and for all of our listeners out there, until the next show, make sure you do get out there and have some fun. See ya. Hey, we want the show to be a great success. You want the show to be a great success. How does that happen? It happens when you tell your friends. Please always listen in to the Adventure Sports Podcast and make sure that your friends know where they can hear about amazing adventures connecting with nature. Get inspired, get out there, make it happen.